You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Gary Rozek is the chairman of Centro, an international plastic company that makes rotationally molded products that earn everything from John Deere tractors to coolers to eyewash stations. I talked to Gary about the values and hard work that it takes to run an international business and how his Czech roots are a big part of his approach. Gary also owns restaurants in Cedar Rapids, classic eateries like the Starlight Room, Leonardo's, and foodie destination Popoli. He shares his insights about the similarities between big business and local restaurants. Gary's also a two and a half handicapped golfer, and he talks about some of the lessons he's learned in golf and how he applies them to business today. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Well, Gary, thanks so much for taking the time to, sure. to sit down and talk. Um, you know, I think like myself, uh, you know, you've got maybe a year or two ahead of me, but we're, we're local corridor people that were, were born and raised here and, uh, you know, spend a lot of time and come back. And I know a big part of your story, both as a professional and as a person, is, is building businesses here. Not only with uh, Centro and, you know, generationally you've taken over that business after your your father founded it back in the 1970s, but also been involved with a lot of other business ventures in the Cedar Rapids area. Um, talk a bit about what Cedar Rapids, what this region means to you and why that's been such an important part of your professional and life story. Yeah, Cedar Rapids is just such a great place to raise a family and have a family and, and uh a lot of my siblings are still there and uh, other relatives. And, um, you know, I've always lived in Cedar Rapids, but just to see the corridor grow like it has. Um, North Liberty's been great, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Iowa City's always fun to visit. At that university down here, <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. So, uh, but Cedar Rapids is uh, born and raised and still live there and... Uh, and love the town. What, what, what neighborhood did you grow up in, Cedar Rapids? Uh, southeast side, the Beaver Park area. Okay. That's where I grew up. Any uh, fond, fond memories or stories as a kid? Uh, going? Oh, sure. You got the big rock at Beaver Park. You got to go sit on that and, <laughs> uh, and, and the reservoir up there and uh, the swimming pool and the zoo and mm-hmm. that stuff was always fun. We could hear the lion from our, oh, really? from our house. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Were you... Uh, entrepreneurial did you have kind of the business itch as a kid growing up in cedar rapids i mean obviously your dad had you know owned businesses did you get involved with that at all at an early age any any young uh entrepreneurial stories as a kid not really i I, my first job was uh, carrying the newspaper for the gazette and uh how old were you when you had that oh probably 13 okay and uh, put the rubber bands on there. Your, yeah. your hands are all black from the. Well, I can still fold them pretty good <laughs> without rubber bands. Don't need them. But sure. uh, back then it was an afternoon paper, except for Sunday. But my dad would uh, would help me on Sunday morning, right. and then we'd uh, go to church, and then we go play golf. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. What a great what a great childhood um, um, job. What do you? 
So delivering the papers, what were some lessons learned there that you, that you apply today in, in your work in terms of you know, how to handle that sort of responsibility? Yeah, well, we still had to go collect money every week. Okay. And uh, there were some real characters that you had to knock on the door to. So people and, actually subscribe. You yes, had to go get the money from and, them. Wow. And you had little tickets, and you handed them the ticket, and they gave you a couple bucks. And, <laughs> uh, and you, had to, you had to know how to deal with people, and you had to collect money, and you had to ask for money and, right. and, uh, and do a good job delivering the paper because if you had to show up there face-to-face every week, and they didn't like how you were delivering the paper. You were going to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like I was folded. The one time it rained out, and you didn't bag it up, right? Yeah. Um, so, as a kid, talk a bit about your parents and their and their jobs. I mean, were, were they obviously your dad had started the business, correct? With Central or part of it early on. Talk yeah. a bit about their influence on you, both as a kid and then and today as a, you know as, as a business owner and a leader. Right. My dad was uh, uh, had a material handling representative business. And uh, that was his real economic engine, and, and that's how he started Centro. Um, it was an outgrowth of a company he was representing that decided to replace him with a permanent salesperson, direct salesperson, rather than his, his representative commission. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he decided to start a company here. And uh, amazing courage and strength and... What do you and, remember about uh, that when he, when he made that leap and started that company? How, well, how old were you at the time? I had I was uh, the same month I turned 16 Okay, was when he started. So pro- which still will be pretty vivid, huh? You're, yeah. You're old enough to, under, to know. Yeah, it. it'll be 50 years ago um, next June 1st. And, um, you know, he claims uh, he bought the biggest birdhouse in Johnson County. <laughs> it was the grain storage building over in Oxford area. Okay. And, uh, and it, it, it did have a lot of birds in it because mm-hmm. it was grain storage and they could get in. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, but he always talked about the, you know, what a, a crazy left-handed bohemian would do that no one else would do. And he was right because sure. uh, everything was a challenge at that time. And, and he had some real tough early years mm-hmm. and um, somehow made it through and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't start full-time until 1977, but I knew it was too good an opportunity to right. mess up. What do you remember from those early days with your dad? Uh, all, any of us that have started businesses before, we all understand that, you know, in order to get that traction and, and, and get, get the business really rocking and rolling, do you have any, you know, memories of conversations with your dad or oh, less, yeah. lessons learned? And talk, yeah. talk a bit about that experience of... As you, you know, a kid looking up to your dad and going through some of those growing pains with starting a business. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he, I worked with him down there as a teenager. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd go down on weekends and, and, uh, and summers and holidays and spring breaks and that kind of stuff and help out, do whatever uh, I could do to help out because he was, he was really struggling because uh, – Everything was new. The equipment was new. The right. materials were new. Um, rotational molding was really young as an industry at sure. that point. And um, what was your dad's? Was he? He came from the sales world. Did he have much experience in sort of advanced manufacturing? Or no. Like? So did he, he have a team around him that really knew that, or he was kind of learning on the fly? But he kind of hired one person away from the uh, rotomolder that he was uh, representing for. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that was the experience and everything else you had to learn on the on the go. But right. uh, he was a former baseball player, professional baseball player. Oh, wow. He played okay. in major leagues for four and a half years, and um, and then he worked went to work for a man of refrigeration as a salesperson and and George Forstner who owned a man at the time he liked to hire professional athletes okay. because they had goals they were driven they were competitive mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he was all of that and learned the sales side of the business through a man of refrigeration and uh, worked there about five years after he left baseball and uh, started having a lot of children and was traveling so much that uh, he wanted to do something closer yeah, to home. Get here. Yeah, sure. and uh, that's when he he bought a manufacturer rep uh, firm who's uh, from a, a widow whose husband had passed away who was running okay. it. So and that's where was how that? Started. You talked a bit about you know getting the business started and some of the challenges around that. Was do you remember? Was there a big break or a moment or a client or uh, a year that? that the business really took that, that turn and, and started off on a different trajectory? Well, I don't remember a specific circumstance, but I do remember um, the difficulty he had getting going and uh, that the bank wouldn't lend him any more money. Mm-hmm. And so he went out and sold personal debentures to friends oh, wow. to actually make the payroll and uh, keep it going. And that was in the early 70s, and I still have copies of those debentures. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, and he paid everyone back. Somehow he made it through. Uh, I do remember in 1973, uh, we made these large tanks for um, spraying equipment over at John Deere Des Moines. Mm-hmm. And they were flat-sided tanks, and uh, we molded the first ones, made a shipment, and they all collapsed. Oh, wow. And we went over to... John Deere Des Moines and looked at them after they were pulled from the truck and they were not good wow. and um, and it was a poor design we didn't put ribbing for strengthening on a large flat surface okay and uh, John Deere ended up paying us for those tanks even though they couldn't use them hmm. to help us stay in business in 1973 wow. and uh, so we've been They've been a great customer, and we've been loyal to them ever since as well. That's an awesome story. Yeah. That's great. So you helping your dad get the business going in your teens here in Cedar Rapids, and then what was the next step for you in, in, with college? You stayed yeah. here local and went to went to Co. I finished at Co. Finished at Co. Okay. Yeah, I claim to be maybe the only alumni that took four courses and got two degrees at Co. <laughs> That's got to be tough. Because I right? had traveled around and built some credits, and okay. they all transferred. And uh, I worked an internship for my dad's material handling company at one semester to see whether or not I liked that right. side of the business. And that didn't necessarily appeal to me because you never really had your hands on the product. You right. were selling and they were direct shipping. The manufacturer was direct shipping to your customer and you didn't really have the tangible mm-hmm. product that you could really sink your teeth into. Right. And and that's when the uh, plastics business was more appealing to sure. me. So did your 18, 20-year-old self, did you know what you wanted to do at that time? And you had all, all, obviously all this great exposure to the business world and manufacturing and those sort of things. Was that the, the the track you wanted to go on or were no, there other things? Heck no. I, I came back after college and I just needed a paycheck. And <laughs> right. I wanted my own stuff. And uh, so I went down to the plastics company, applied to the plant manager, and uh, 
and got a job uh, working in the plant, eventually became a machine operator, uh, did that job for about nine months, okay. and, uh, and I was interviewing at the time for other jobs, and um, I saw so much opportunity there. Uh, the business hadn't yet done a million dollars in sales in one year yet, mm -hmm. and I thought, geez, there's so many options to convert other products to plastics, and so um, that's what that's what appealed to me and kept me there. Sure. Did you then transition over into the sales side, or where did yeah. you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. After uh, I worked in the plant a couple of years, got to learn every part of the business, developed the employee handbook on the personnel okay. side, and right. and implemented safety procedures and quality uh, inspections and departments and checks and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then it was time to sell and learn the selling side of it and my dad and I would go out on the road and we had a lot of fun and I learned a lot from him but it got to the point where gosh I could sell this stuff all day long but if we couldn't make it right right then uh, what good is it to sell all that stuff so um, that's when I refocused back in the operation side of the business and uh, and the processes and the discipline you need uh, in order to build a high quality product uh, every time the first time right so. what well, is there you know if there's something on the wall at centro in the in the in the factory and you got your manufacturing you talk about processes are there mm -hmm. are there keys are there certain things or mission statement that you guys really drive home with the people that are working there in terms of doing it the, the right process the right way every time yeah our our mission is to be the best rotational molding company in the world and it's not necessarily the biggest you you know growth will occur as an byproduct of doing things right. well yeah. and um you know our uh, our values are really what drives us and it's the do your best always with integrity take care of the customer take care of people and keep getting better mm -hmm. you mentioned that keep getting better part how do you instill that into your into your team at centro are there are there certain things that you're encouraging them in terms of uh you know lifelong learning and career betterment and those sort of things how do you how do you kick that into your your tactics yeah. there from a management standpoint yeah we are focused on getting better we have continuous improvement teams we have kaizen events we have lean manufacturing focus um talk a bit about those kaizen events how does how does that work yeah we gather a group of people and just focus on one area of the business or one machine or one operation and we try and process map it and okay. say this is the way it is today and what can be better mm -hmm. and uh, so you focus on on making it better yeah and it's just a deep dive into one specific component right. of that. that's interesting yep. uh looking so fast forwarding to today and then also looking backwards to when you joined the company in the 70s what's changed the most in, in that in that course of time, for either from the business perspective or the your team and how you manage them, what's what's been the biggest transformation during your your time working with the company? I think the challenge in the uh, human resource side of the business has been the biggest change. You know, it used to be um, people were readily available and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, excited to to work hard and show up every day, and it's a little different today. Yeah. And uh, you've got to work hard to find uh, enough people and the right people with the right 
basic skills that um, you can utilize to help grow your business. Yeah, and you've been really involved at, at Kirkwood and working with the community college here yep. around some of that career readiness. Uh, Initiatives. Talk a bit about your work there. With you know, yep. you mentioned the human resources side. That's a, that's a struggle, and but you've, yeah. you've kind of gone upstream, so to speak, and worked on developing the right talent. Yeah, Kirkwood's been a great resource with training and education and uh, 260e job training contracts, and um, and we've really worked hard to be a good partner with Kirkwood for all those things. Mm-hmm. And not that running a you know, international company like Centro isn't enough, but you're also very involved in the, like we had talked about in the Cedar Rapids community and a variety of other businesses. What is it about either the real estate development or the entrepreneurial work you're doing, investing in, in restaurants and those sort of things locally here in Cedar Rapids? What, what is it about, about that that's been attractive? Yeah, I have fun in business. And one of my, one of my biggest thrills is providing opportunities for people that they may not have had otherwise, mm-hmm. either in business or in life. Um, so, um, and, uh, another big part of, uh, my attraction to Cedar Rapids is the Czech and Slovak Museum, right. the National. And, uh, at the time of the flood in 08, I was chair of the board and, um, it's and for the year after. Yeah, sure. So we had to do some disaster recovery mm-hmm. and, uh, and short-term, mid-term and long-term strategic planning and uh and we were very successful and raising a lot of money and uh moving largest museum in the world ever moved and uh and uh tripling its size and and putting it 11 feet higher in the air than it was to begin with and uh and that was a great project yeah this is a rhetorical question coming from an old history major but why is i i know that you know i could i know the answer to this question to a certain extent but why why is the check history and the heritage why is it so important to the cedar rapids community well, yeah, what's well, important about of keeping that history alive and making sure it's woven through the the narrative that is cedar rapids today yeah why is there, that important? there are there were so many czechs and slovaks that came to cedar rapids to work at the meatpacking plant that uh, sinclair started mm-hmm. he was an irishman that knew the czechs and slovaks were such hard workers that he went over to czechoslovakia at the time <laughs> huh. and recruited those people to come here and they came here made their own village yeah. had uh, their own area where they uh, enjoyed living and uh it's an amazing, it's still one of the only few ethnic villages that remain in the country today. And is, where does your family fit into that story? Were they, yeah. were they part of that at that time? What, what was your first, your family's first, uh, you know, when did you guys make your first stay here in Cedar Rapids? Yeah, my, uh, my grandfather came over okay. as a young boy, and his family brought him here. What year would that have been I around? think it was... Um, 1908 I think he was the age of nine eight or eight or nine and um, he eventually they eventually settled in Cedar Rapids Uh, to my knowledge none of the family worked at the meatpacking plant but and he ended up selling dry goods to grocery stores around Iowa and uh, so I guess sales was in our family Mm -hmm. early on why why is that history important to Cedar Rapids today or the or the region in general? Why, yeah. why is that Czech settlement on the west side of the river there? Why why is that important to the story of Cedar Rapids now? Yeah, well, it's it's about freedom. Uh they came here uh to to 
to get away from the oppression of the um, the Russians mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so uh, you know when you think about it we're we're all derive most of us I should say are derived from immigrants of some sort right. that uh, that were seeking freedom mm -hmm. and uh, and but it's a big part of who Cedar Rapids is because they were such hard workers and with such good values and um, help make Cedar Rapids uh, what it is today yeah what's uh what's next for you professionally haven't done done so much both in you know with the big <laughs> business with Centro and then a, a big impact locally here with with some of the real estate development and small business that you've been involved with and obviously the philanthropic ventures with uh, with the, the Czech Museum what's uh, what's yet to be accomplished for you well I I feel like um, I can still climb a mountain or two now and then <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not seeking out any opportunities uh, you know they I get exposed to them sure. and if it excites me I'll I'll keep going and if not um, I've got three one-year-old grandsons yeah. today and uh that's fun and get them uh some golf clubs get them out of the golf yeah, course soon right yeah. yeah and uh yeah i'm i'm busy uh i'm not looking to complicate my life further but if mm -hmm. there are opportunities that i would enjoy i'll keep my eyes and ears open sure what would you i mean how would you define if someone were to you know write about you, Gary, as a as a as a professional, what what do you think the top three kind of defining characteristics of, of how you approach your your work professionally? What what do you think those characteristics would be? What do you pride yourself the most on in the in the workplace? Um, hardworking, honest, and um, detail oriented. Sure, that's awesome. Um, okay, well, we like to end most of these interviews with uh, with what we call kind of our rapid fire questions. Okay. Just kind of give, give the listeners a little bit of a chance to kind of uh, see a little bit more of the, the personal side of, of you and what, and what you've done. The first question is, how much of your success would you contribute to luck versus hard work? Well, I like to say the harder you work, the luckier you get. So um, you got to have both. Right. That's great. If given the chance, what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Oh, Probably professional golf of some sort. Okay. Talk a bit more about your, your golf. How old were you when you picked that hobby up? Well, my dad helped me start when I was seven. Okay. And uh, we used to go out to Chapman's uh, par three course. And, you know, I just about wet my pants to go play golf. It was <laughs> exciting and yeah. fun to me. And, um, and so um, I'm glad he got me started in it. And it's, it's been a big part of my life. Uh, all the way through and still have some lifelong friends that mm -hmm. I enjoy playing with. In fact, my partner Sam and I, uh, at the Starlight, we've played golf together for 55 years yeah. and, um, and awesome. won some state best ball tournaments together. We bo won both the, the, uh, the amateur division and the senior division. Mm -hmm. So a lot of good memories. What's your handicap today? What are you playing to? 2.5. Oh, wow. Jeez, <laughs> I need I need about five aside then if we're gonna get out and play. I don't know. You know, there's a lot, golf is one of those great sports where there's a lot of analogies back towards life, right? Yes, I mean, what, what, exactly. What has golf taught you about life or work? What, well, are, what are some lessons there that can apply outside of the golf course? Just honesty and hard work and uh, and good luck at times. <laughs> there's a lot of luck need, involved in that. Yeah, you need some. I don't know uh, that is something. Yeah, you, you, you put your 
stroke that ball and it's going right on the perfect line. It catches one blade of grass and moves one way or the other. You got to have the humility to yeah. accept it and move on. Right? But there are rules, you know, there's, there's a lot of life lessons mm-hmm. in golf with, with rules and etiquette and, and how to treat others Absolutely. and, um, how to carry yourself under adversity, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Yep, it's a great game. Has there been a business leader? Obviously, your dad has been somebody you've looked up to, you know, growing up through the through the, the business and the profession. But is there has there been another business leader, either locally or nationally, that you've looked up to that's been a uh, an inspiration for you? Um, I think my father is the foremost business leader that I look up to. Some of the risks he took uh, yeah. were amazing, and. Um, but I, I like the way Kirk Ferentz carries himself, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's somebody you, you mentioned doing things the right way and working hard. That's, that's definitely Coach Ferentz, a hallmark of what he's done. Right. Hit, hit on risk again because you've, you know, you've grown business, the central business to, like I said, a, an international business, but you've also taken calculated risks. I mean, real estate development is all about that, business startup and those sort of things. Yeah. How, how do you evaluate risk and weigh it against the rewards? Are there any, you know, a couple – keys to how you approach uh, risk? Yeah, I, I, I like what, what I call measured risk. Mm-hmm. And you look at the business plan, you look at the IRR, you look at ROI, you look at a lot of those things, but I also rely on instinct. Mm-hmm. And uh, does it feel like the right thing to do at the right time? And um, you still got to have some of that. Yeah, so it's kind of the quantitative and the qualitative yeah. sort of mixed together. Yeah, That's great. Uh, how about a, you know, in the downtime, is there a, what are you doing in terms of entertainment? Is there a podcast or TV show or recent movie that you've seen? Anything that's either, <laughs> either regular for you or something you've seen lately? Well, I enjoy playing with the new grandsons uh, in my free time, but I, so I like Thomas the Train and the Curious George. <laughs> that, yeah, it's cartoons yeah. now, those, those but, shows. But I do watch, uh, I'll admit, uh, some Gunsmoke reruns. <laughs> nice. I got those on tape. That's great. Uh, 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do with it? Oh, probably read another newspaper. <laughs> What's on your newspaper list? What, what, how are you getting your news daily? What are you doing today? Well, the Gazette, I mean, being yeah, a, being I, I, I read the boy. Gazette yeah. every day, but if I, I've got a uh, lake home in Minnesota, so I get the Star Tribune up there, and, sure. and I, I, I got a place in California. I spend some time in the winter and I, I get the paper out there and yeah, both enjoy local reading news it. And, yeah. yeah. How about your, in terms of staying up to date on maybe industry specific to Centro, is there, how are you keeping up to date on, I mean, are there periodicals or yeah, there's, websites? Uh, or what's the, there's, there's plastic news. That's okay. a weekly public. It's a good bedtime reading there. Huh? Yeah, plastic weekly <laughs> publication. But I also enjoy the Corridor Business Journal. I, yeah, I think John's there. Yeah. I think John's done a great job mm-hmm. with that. Uh, and amazing that uh, he developed it from nothing to what it is today. I think is I think you ought to interview him. <laughs> will, <laughs> It'll be a little self serving. Be our grand finale. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh, how about a business book? Has there been something that's been really influential to you, either in your career, or something yeah. that's top of mind recently? I think uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits mm-hmm. um, is a great book. It's a classic and uh, really good for anyone uh, that'll help you in both business and life. Absolutely. Um, and then how about just in one sentence, how would you define success? Creating opportunities for others that they wouldn't have if you didn't. That's great. And you've certainly done that with a, an amazing career and have, especially having to be focused here in the, in the region. So Gary, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been, thank it's been you, great. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, you bet. Enjoyed it. 
This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal. 